Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Brick by Brick, a podcast produced by Move Your Mind, committed to changing the construction industry, one conversation at a time. There are endless issues surrounding mental health in companies. When comparing industry rates of mental illness, the construction industry sticks out like a sore thumb. 77% of employees say they've experienced burnout in their current job. At best, mental health issues lead to more sick days and reduced company productivity. At worst, it can lead to an increased risk of suicide with the construction industry having a suicide rate 4.5 times higher than the general public. This needs to change. I'm really excited to share with you our first construction industry forum with Angelina Pillay, who's the Chief Executive Officer at the Association of Consulting Architects, John Toomey, who's the founder of Wide Awake Wellness, Lisa Davey, who's a project engineer at Lenlease, and Martin Smith, who's the Group General Manager of Health, Sustainability and Climate at John Holland. We discussed a number of issues such as the state of mental health in the construction industry, impacts of COVID, and the ongoing challenge of improving mental health and well-being in the industry. And finally, a huge thank you to Lenlease for sponsoring this podcast. I hope you enjoy. First of all, just want to say thank you to all of you guys for making the time to have this chat. Um, this is really just as an extension of the Brick by Brick podcast that we've been running for mm. about three or four months now, and that came on the back of the Move Your Mind podcast. And um, as Martin and Angelina, you've both both been on the on the um, construction podcast, and it, we've just had such a great reaction from it. And I think. Mm. As, as you guys know more than me, um, it's just such a big issue in society, but something that is being talked about more in construction and, you know, obviously needs to be addressed. And we've, you know, been overwhelmed by how many people have been reaching out and hearing these messages. So, yeah, again, really appreciate you all making the time. Um, I might just go around and ask each of you to just do a quick introduction on uh you know what company uh, you you're coming from, and a bit of quick quick overview of your background. So maybe Martin, if you want to go first. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so my, um, Martin Smith. I work for the John Holland Group, and I lead the um, what's called the Health, Sustainability, and Climate uh, function for John Holland. So which covers um, you know health and safety, environment, well-being, um, <coughs> corporate social responsibility, and, and climate action. <clears throat> so, um, quite inter- a very interesting portfolio uh, if, uh, in, in a construction, in a construction infrastructure sense. Um, I've been in the company now for uh, five years, just over five years. I've been in the industry um, for probably I don't know twenty plus years. Um, worked for most most of the tier one um, contractors, uh, except for Lendlease and a few others, um, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, really enjoy the really enjoy the really enjoy the industry, um, and 
particularly particularly this topic um, it's becoming you know, it's becoming more and more and increasingly more important over time so it's uh, it's an, it's an area that particularly interests me um, I have a background um, prior to getting into construction I did work in the in the human services sector for a period of time um, as a social worker um, so I've always had a had a particular interest in in mental health and and the, and the various manifestations of it so um, in the context of construction it's you know it's obviously um, a significant issue for us and a, a bit of a wicked problem I appreciate that martin and and you know i've worked you know closely with you or been you know in touch for quite a while and seen firsthand what you're doing and uh you are really are making a huge mark in that industry so you know a lot yeah, of things yeah uh, we've just had john jump in uh john can hey, you hear us okay yes my sincere apologies i didn't have the link i was trying to join as a viewer ah. yes oh so there you go apologies from our end mate. yeah that's good fine. good good well we're glad yeah. glad you came in and, and um you know we're keeping this pretty casual so i've just sort of um we're just actually going around and doing a quick introduction um getting everyone to introduce themselves and talk about um you know the work they're doing and you know what company they're representing etc so uh seeing that you've just jump on jumped on john i might i might hand it over to you just to you know introduce yourself yeah great thanks nick hi everybody um yeah john toomey i'm my company is wide awake wellness and we provide Oh, hang on. I've got, I've got. Sorry, I've got feedback from the uh, broadcast. Okay. Now I had right. that same yeah, problem so, happen. I had to close that down. Yep. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. So John Toomey here from uh, Wide Awake Wellness, and um, I provide um, education services in workplaces in a number of areas. And um, at the moment, you know, my focus around the workplace, the mental well-being, is around prevention, sort of skilling people up to relearn the skills that they need to sort of keep themselves out of the dark cellar of um of uh, mental health issues so it's um yeah it's a pretty interesting time because there's a lot of focus on um supporting people once they've got mental health issues but i'm more interested in and whilst that's important i'm more interested in prevention yeah well thank you very much for that uh lisa do you want to give a quick introduction yeah uh, so I'm a senior project engineer for Lendlease. Uh, unlike Martin, Lendlease is the only company I've worked for in my uh, professional life. Um, yeah. I've been with Lendlease for 10 years now. Um, so started uh, just at Monash Uni building a new um, engineering complex there and then I've been in the sort of hospital sector ever since uh, running the various various trades hands-on on site with structures through fit out. Um, so yeah, more of a hands-on on the ground. Uh, don't sort of particularly have any well-being expertise as uh, as Martin and John might. But um, yeah, I guess now I'm have my last role started being in a managerial position. So to start to take on that responsibility of looking after those that are working for you as well as yourself. So yeah, that's me. Great. Well, appreciate you making the time to come on. And Angelina, if you want to just give an introduction as well. 
Sure, thanks, Nick. Hi, everyone. Um, Angelina Pillay. I am here from the Association of Consulting Architects. Um, we're a peak employer body for architectural practices here in Australia. We've got about 850 firms as members. Um, industrial relations sits at the core of our charter. It doesn't sound very glamorous, uh, but trust me, it is. As a result of you know being responsible for IR, uh, equally critically, our role has kind of expanded to supporting practices with the business side of architecture, so not design, but the business. And that's through the development of tools and resources, advice, advocacy, um, and, you know, having important conversations like the ones we're having today. You know, we're really committed to um, the well-being and the culture of the architecture profession. That's something we've taken on quite actively over the last few years um, with a focus on equitable practice. Um, as a lever to, you know, uh, um, outcomes of profitable businesses, productive businesses and sustainable business. So um, that's really where I'm coming from in terms of um, in terms of being at the at the ACA. I've been here almost five years. I come from a membership body um, background, so represented a number of uh, professions such as HR, procurement, supply chain, um, the general practitioners. So that's been quite varied, um, but fundamentally it's about servicing professions and the well-being of um, Fantastic. Thank you so much. Well, we might jump in. So I'm just going to read out. I've got a few, st just a couple of statistics here. So, you know, it's pretty, pretty shocking. Construction workers are six times more likely to die from suicide than an accident at work. Uh, more than 20% of construction industry, of the industry um, is shown to have a mental health condition. Uh, and it's an industry that employs 10% of the population. So you know, we're talking about, you know, a really large number. So I might direct this question uh, to Martin and John, um, you know, working directly in the industry. How big of an issue, first of all, is mental health in this industry? Um, for one of you, maybe Martin, if you want to go first. Okay, fine. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. Um, look, it is. It's endemic. Um, I think it's uh, those statistics are very shocking, um, and I think you know the publication of those statistics over time have been a real wake-up call for the industry. I think the industry has always recognised, certainly in the last ten years, that there's a problem, um, but it didn't get discussed and it wasn't openly discussed. I think now that uh, that there's plenty of research into how widespread this issue is, that the, you know there's, there is there's a body of work that's been published that, that, that uh, clearly sets out the underlying issues that are driving poor mental health outcomes. Um, and I think that the industry has really kind of mobilised in the last in the last five or six years to try and address this. Um, and, and no doubt we'll talk in, uh, at some stage, Nick, about what the industry is doing in response to those, those uh, confronting numbers. But um, you know, as, as, we, as we were discussing earlier, um, you know, prevention has to be the approach that needs to be taken to deal with the underlying drivers of poor mental health outcomes rather than, um, you know, wellbeing programs that really don't cut through to the um, to those issues that need to change. Yeah, thank you for that. And absolutely, I think straight after this, actually, we'll jump into that, um, looking at, you know, what actually is being done. Um, before that, John, um, what's your view on, on mental health in the industry? Yeah, I think it's um, it, like like it is it is so significant, and uh, you know, speaking for safety managers and 
and other managers all the time and they're lamenting the fact that they've got guys who are, are struggling on these sites. You know, I was first sort of stimulated to write the book that I wrote on FIFO because of the number of suicides that were occurring in FIFO work sites and you know, people really struggling and getting themselves into trouble and uh, it's um, you, the, the, the problem is huge because we look at the number of suicides or the number of people who are uh, suffering from mental illness, then you've got to look at the ripple effect of their families and everybody else who's involved in that. So you talk about 10% of the population. What percentage of the population does this industry actually impact? And so it is, you know, it is significant. But, you know, as Martin said, I can feel that the industry collectively has taken a turn to want to deal with this. And, um, you know, that's, that's an important step. Absolutely. And I think that's a, such a good point because, you know, 10% of the working population is a huge number, but that's not focusing on that ripple effect of, you know, their families, friends, how many people, how, how much residual impact there is from all of these issues. So it really it's, it's affects so many people. And I think it's uh, a huge opportunity in this industry to be able to, you know, through talking about this through having, as Martin was saying, taking preventative action, there's a, a huge impact that can be made on broader society by doing it. So it's a, you know, it's a really big opportunity. It's something we need to address. So um, I'll get to Angelina and Lisa in a second. Um, just continuing on this this topic, um, Martin, what, what are some of the things that uh, are being done to make some of these changes, I guess, in, in in your organisation um, at John Holland and, you know, I guess more broadly as well? Mm. Yeah, look, I, I, I think the probably the most important things that are being done now that haven't been tackled in the past um, are those um, those issues which are much more difficult to change. And this is these go, this goes to the culture of the industry. Um, it goes to the, what, what characterises the industry. And what I mean by that is, you know, the construction industry has certain uh, a certain dynamic to it and certain characteristics such as long working hours, long working weeks. It's generally known as an industry that's not particularly friendly, family friendly or, or relationship friendly. Um, it's got, you know, some stigma attached to it around the, the work hard, play hard culture, which is thankfully that's turning now. Um, but it's but it's you know addressing those cultural issues as we appreciate t can take years to do. Um, it's also about the the our clients' expectations in terms of program delivery. Um, the industry is expected to deliver project large projects in shorter time frames with skinnier margins, and that puts a lot of stress into the industry. You know we're asked the industry is asked generally sometimes not in all cases to submit tenders. Um, very close to Christmas uh, and sometimes our teams work through Christmas in order to meet those deadlines so so there's a lot of pressure in the industry that creates these the poor mental health outcomes for those people that operate in it um, and they're the issues that we need to tackle and they're the issues that are being tackled collaboratively through industry associations like the Australian Constructors Association who have established a task force for culture change uh, construction industry task force to deal with that issue but it requires 
uh, complete collaboration between all the construction companies in Australia in order to do that. Because it's such a highly competitive environment that we operate in, uh, sometimes addressing these things can have commercial impacts. And unless every company is involved in this, it creates a perception of disadvantage, commercial disadvantage. So, um, so there's a recognition that, 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 like we did with safety 15 years ago, that safety is not considered competitive advantage and there should be open sharing of, uh, of experiences and standards and lessons, etc. So that same approach is being taken in the area of wellbeing and mental health. So thankfully, you know, that, that, uh, that, that uh, issue is, is gradually being resolved. So tackling, you know, the diversity issue in the industry and making it more attractive for more diverse members of the community to join, for people to select engineering and construction related careers for university is really important. Um, so it's about changing the makeup of the industry. Moving to a five day working week has been a shift that's gradually gaining momentum. Uh, working with clients to, um, to get more realistic expectations um, established on client current contractors that are bidding for work and delivering work that's really important um, so they're the things that we talk about in terms of the cultural factors that need to be the structural issues that are driving poor mental health outcomes what we're doing inside John Holland is apart from participating in, in those discussions and, and, and in some cases leading those discussions um, we're also doing what we can do to address those issues. So, you know, looking at how we can build more diversity into um, into the business, um, having more female representation uh, right throughout the business, from projects right through to senior management. Um, uh, we're, we're codifying wellbeing uh, requirements uh, in our project plans now. So, rather than retrofitting wellbeing as an afterthought in project delivery we're actually including those in the bids you know we're our, our pre-contracts people are making provision in the bids for well-being programs to be funded and resourced on a project um, so we have well-being plans for all of our projects and in some cases we have well-being coordinators depending upon the size um, uh, of the and the complexity of the of the project as well and then we've got them you know we, we have the normal things that you would expect a company to have in terms of the services and offerings um, uh, for, for the organisation. We also spend um, a lot of time building capability uh, in our leadership around how mental health turns up in our in our teams, um, and then how, as a leader, what do you need to do in order to foster well-being uh, in your team? So we we've got a collaboration with the Black Dog Institute. Um, and they provide all our leadership training and everybody that has any leadership responsibilities, people leadership responsibilities, has to do the mandatory training. So, so they're just a few things that we're doing, uh, Nick, inside the organisation. But I think more importantly, it's what we're doing to contribute to the discussion to change the culture of the industry that's going to be more sustainable for, for the industry in terms of mental health. Thank you so much for sharing. And yeah, I think it, it really is amazing to see what John Holland is doing is being becoming a huge leader in this industry. And, and that's what I noticed early on when I was speaking to you. It was always about not just the organisation, but about what can actually be done to make that change more broadly and, 
um, you know, it's a, it, it, I think it's just so great that, you know, showing that leadership uh, and, and helping people. So uh, we might jump to Lisa from Lendlease here. Um, so what Lendlease are also doing a lot when it comes to mental health and wellbeing. What's your experience being in that organisation? Um, have you seen a change? How, how are you finding um, that mental health conversation? Lendlease is proudly sponsoring the Brick by Brick podcast. They're committed to the health and safety of their people and those they work with and have been acknowledged externally for their focus on providing healthy workplaces. Lendlease is certified as a globally healthy workplace in recognition of their focus on employee health and well-being. In addition, Lendlease won the multinational employer category at the six global Healthy Workplace Awards. They have a holistic approach to health and well-being and continue to grow their focus around mental health. Lendlease genuinely care and are out there not just to make a difference in their organisation, but in construction and society as a whole. We're very proud to have Lendlease as a sponsor of the Brick by Brick podcast. Yeah, I've definitely seen a change across the 10 years. Um, I guess there's a few different levels to it. The first is sort of how much it gets spoken about by our leadership team. Um, like our regional business unit has an ops team and how much it gets brought up uh, in their conversations. Um, I attend the senior leadership uh, EH&S meeting that we have quarterly and it gets discussed there as part of the safety of our sites is the, the well-being of our people. So I think that's important to start off with. Um, but then once you get to a site level, 10 years ago, we'd have sort of safety talks with the whole site and it would be about, you know, how are we managing fall from heights? We're leading into the Christmas break. Make sure you're paying attention with what you're doing. Um, just to sort of drive home those safety standards uh, while we're all here on site. So it is quite a high-risk industry. But now that's developed, especially in the recent years, to also have a focus on mental health. And sometimes we'll have it as a separate um, toolbox with the whole site to discuss mental health for the individuals, uh, what you know services are out there and what's available. Um, I was a part of the Pathways to 144 Beds uh, project, uh, which is across four sites in Melbourne, uh, developing and building another 144 mental health beds, which was off the back of COVID. Um, and that we actually had mental health staff who were going to use the facility come and speak to the group about what the facility will mean and what it's going to provide to the community and then just talking about mental health in general and I think that had a real impact on the workers themselves. It helps to understand what we're doing in the industry but also to understand mental health overall so they know what's available for them, what's out there. It just helps start those conversations when you're around so that it makes it a little bit more normal to talk about how you're feeling or if something's not going well or even if it's just sort of water cooler chat but it builds it in and it builds up the confidence to then if you do have something bigger going on or you need some extra help it's already started to be part of the norm um, and then the third element is our project sites um, so our like Lendlease site teams the, I think I've been pretty lucky with the management that I've had in they're really engaged in the people and understanding who everyone is and what's important to them and being able to set up frameworks for what might be important to you. So whether that's you know my construction manager leaving early so he can pick up his kids a couple of days a week, it just sets that tone in the office and it helps people to be comfortable with who they are and then to also be able to put forward and prioritise something that might be important to them and 
work together to make that work with our, our busy schedules. Thank you so much for that. And I, I love all the points you're talking about there. And I think it's a really important one, what you're saying about just starting those conversations uh, in the organization, gradually you know, chipping away at just changing that culture. And I always talk about how the culture in organization, really it's a microcosm of broader society and these sometimes these cultures have been built over many many years so it takes a long time to break it down and I think it really takes you know those little baby steps and everyone sort of becoming their own leader and just being part of that conversation and if if we all can do that that's how we really do start to make these changes so I think that's a really really great point there um Angelina what what are in the work you're doing um what's what are you seeing when it comes to mental health in in the workplace Oh, we're seeing a lot. And I wish I could add something more spectacular to all the um, contributions from um, Martin, John and, and Lisa. But, um, you know, Nick, it, it, uh, reflecting on a conversation you and I had when we first did this and I talked about, and again, I'm representing the architecture profession. So in, in, in practice, um, the, the, a lot of students of architecture and graduates that I talk about refer to architecture as architecture and the ripple effects of that permeating um, their well-being, which is, which is devastating. Um, and we've known for this for the longest time. We've known of this for the longest time in the profession, um, but now we have this national research project, first of its kind, um, the well-being of um, architects, which is actually validating all of these, um, the, the seriousness of well-being across the profession. And this is born you know, from a range of issues, most notably due to the nature of the industry itself. Now, construction is, is very fragmented. Um, you know, it lacks that serious coordination across multiple players. Um, architecture is one of those players within the industry. So things like, and um, John uh, or Martin, I think you talked about this before, things like um, time management pressures, the deadlines, timelines, overtime, these are all contributing factors to well-being. And then there's the issue around financial management, so fees, procurement processes or, or you know, really um, dysfunctional procurement processes around um, uh, complex projects, the tendering processes, which are quite um, problematic. So, again, the research is telling us that these are issues. So from ACA's perspective, the association's perspective, you know, we're looking at where the gaps are and working with our partners to develop tools and resources um, to overcome these issues. Training, education capability is a big deal for us in the profession too. Um, about two years ago, the ACA launched the Architects Mental Wellbeing Forum across the country. This was modelled on the UK version of it. And all it is is about peers um, and practices coming together and sharing their experiences about what's working, what's not working on certain topics that we've identified as key key issues within professions so things like the overtime culture. Um, you know, clients are a big deal, um, deadlines, uh, the physical office environment, um, and, and, you know, how do we care for um, our people, students, interns, and then the broader profession itself. Um, and that's been proving to be quite popular. We've just also uh, launched our webinar series based on those toolkit, toolkit topics. And we're bringing together a bit like this forum today, practices mm. that are doing some really great stuff 
um, in, in addressing these issues. We're also partnering with organisations such as Champions of Change around the, the gender piece. And, and I just wanted to kind of also highlight, um, you know, what I'm seeing in terms of some of the inconsistencies around how we're approaching it. Um, one of that is around the gender piece, which has a link to, you know, mental well-being, um, gender equity or, or the lack of gender equity has an intrinsic uh, link to well-being issues um, with women, you know, not necessarily safe or feeling equal um, in terms of flexibility. Um, and we know that construction um, is also quite guilty of, of this in terms of equal participation of women. So, you know, we're working hard with organisations such as the National Association of Women in Construction to kind of address um, these issues and another in architecture parlor that's doing some amazing work in just um, raising the, 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 the awareness of it but looking at ways in which organizations and the profession can come together on things like you know parentally flexibility sexual harassment bullying and talking about this in the context of policies being implemented um, so you know change can occur it's going to take a long time we're still not there yet we have a long way ahead of us but I think um, talking about it's the first step and, and listening to you know some of the fabulous initiatives that are being implemented just today I think is you know we're all heading in that right direction thank you so much for for sharing that and and I think the I guess there's there's no end point to this and hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We're probably never going to be able to fully, fully get on top of it. But it's just, again, having these conversations, making that, taking that step forward. You know, the, um, the fact that it's starting to improve in terms of, uh, women in, in construction in, in these industries and um, you know it's I guess if we look back five ten years it really has gone a long way so it's fantastic to see that but you know we, there's sort of no amount of work that's enough um, so I might go back to John here you're on the ground in construction quite a lot what are some of the things that you're seeing well it's um it's interesting you know heralding back what Martin said before, I, I can feel there's so much pressure in the industry, you know, pressure to get projects completed, um, pressure on um, uh, when tendering process are being done, and it, it is so tightly competitive that I think that one of the things I'm seeing is that there is so much of that pressure driving completion of stages of projects and those sorts of things where the safety guys have got so much responsibility that it's almost they're overwhelmed and they're not really getting enough time and space to deliver everything they want to deliver to their teams in an educational um, uh, setting. I also think that one of the things that changed out of COVID, uh, and this is just feedback I'm getting from the industry, is that because of the shutdowns or well, the lockdowns, etc., and not being able to pull people together in uh, into groups for educational sessions, and the fact that you know construction workers don't sit in front of computers, 
there's a backlog in technical training. And so this uh, possibility of getting work groups together for educational sessions, they're finding it really, really difficult. So I think that's one of the, uh, I suppose, the hangovers of, of the pandemic that sort of hasn't really resolved itself yet. But in all of my conversations with the safety guys, the thing that I'm hearing from them is that they're just overwhelmed. They've just got so much responsibility and it's like they can't. They're struggling to be proactive, I suppose, is the, uh, is the feeling that I'm getting. Great answer. And yeah, I mean, it's such a difficult thing. And the point there that, you know, with how um, so many of the construction, well, it's all, a lot of it's remote. How do you, how do you get this information across to everyone? And how do you run these educational programs? It's a, it's a difficult thing. So, um, Martin, I might well, hand that to you. Oh, sorry, John. No, John, you keep going. Yep. I mean, a really interesting case in point is a construction company in Western Australia that, uh, uh, wanted me to go to uh, several of their mines to deliver some talks on mental health, health and wellbeing, pretty broad. And I was taking Matthew Richardson with me, and which was pretty exciting for the company and it was all set. But they couldn't get the project managers on the sites to give the workforce 90 minutes off work to attend the session. So the program got cancelled. And I imagine some of those workers, if they knew what they were missing out on, they'd be pretty upset. But that's the mm. battle that, that is being had. Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you work around that? So, so yeah, Martin, what what what's your view on how, what are some of the strategies of how we can um, get this information across to the broader company and to these construction workers and dealing with people being in you know. On different sites and remote, how, how 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 can we get around that? Well, it's it, it's a complex problem that we're trying to solve here, and um, I think and Lisa mentioned it earlier about how how you destigmatise the conversation around mental health. I think the industry has moved massively in the right direction on this now. It's openly talked about. You know, there's the lights being shone in the corner. And, and people now are no longer feeling concerned about talking openly, um, provided that the environment's you know a safe one in which to do that, that they share their experiences. And that's been a really positive shift, I think, for the industry. Now, at the grassroots level, at projects now, you know, you go to any construction project, large one now, um, across most of the tier ones, and, uh, and there's all the signs and symbols around the project that it's okay to talk about it. Um, and lots of resources available to enable that to happen. Um, then I think, so that's a really positive thing. And then, you know, the, 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 how do you build awareness? How do you maintain that momentum or build that momentum is, is challenging because you, you need to take, what we're doing in John Holland is actually taking a multi-pronged approach. So multiple channels of communication. So one of the things is to keep talking about it. So to establish the channels for people to interact you know, so it could be something quite simple like workplace, which is Facebook um, for industry for, for, for organisations. So we have that as a channel for people to connect in with each other on various topics, um, and that's not defined by role or where you sit in the organisation. It's it's whether you've got the app loaded onto your phone and you can share 
um, information as you see fit. So there's a communication channel for that. Um, we do do the, as I mentioned earlier, we do do the leaders training with the black dog. And that's, and we do an induction as you come into the organisation. Um, we, um, we also position well-being as a really important um, issue to focus on organisationally. So we have a set of what we call our global mandatory requirements, which are, most companies have them and it establishes, you know, what you do to manage high risk hazards in the workplace. So whether it be working at height, uh, confined space. So you specify critical controls that are standardised across the business. We took the step several years ago to include wellbeing as, a, as, a, as, a, as an area of fatal and non-permanent disabling injury because of the statistics in our industry. So, so we have a wellbeing standard that codifies the minimum requirements, much the same as if you're working at height or excavating and trenching or working with live electricity. Um, these are the critical controls. So we've now incorporated that as a non, as a, as a really important issue that the organisation needs to tackle. So symbolically, that's really important. But also, we've then got procedures that cascade from that 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 performance standard. Um, we have a whole team of mental health first aiders in the business that we mobilised over the last few years to connect to act as connectors. Um, with people that want to talk about mental health or their own personal, um, you know, their own personal issues around mental health. So we've got trained people in the organisation. Um, we've got to continue to, and we have an EAP as well, which is there to support people who, you know, as a last line of defence for people that, also for prevention as well, but for people that do want to reach out in times of um, concern to talk to a, a qualified counsellor, etc. We're always looking at ways in which to make, keep the message fresh and keep the message alive. So we've been, we've been trialling some um, machine learning and artificial intelligence technology around, around training, uh, in our in our organisation. We haven't yet moved to doing this in the mental health and wellbeing space, but we've been doing it with technical based training. Um, working at Hyatt, uh, heavy vehicle national law, we're doing confined space, electricity, working with elect, um, electricity, um, drug and alcohol, those sorts of things. So we've had some remarkable results um, through a relationship we've got with a company called Area 9 in Denmark, where they, they provide um, AI technology to the healthcare sector and other highly regulated industries where you've got to prove competency independently you've got to prove competency so we're the first construction company globally to uh, trial that technology and we trialed it about three or four years ago in, uh, in 2020 we ran a trial which was really successful so now all our technical training from a health and safety point of view is done through AI um, through through this database and, and what we've been able to discover um, is well because we can never verify that people uh, understand the content going into training we've never been able to assess competency coming out of the training so now through this technology we can assess people's level of understanding going in and that they come out with 100% competency and we've reduced training time in classroom training time by 50% um, but we've saved about a 14,000 hours uh, in, in 12 months through this training technology so with we're turning our mind now to whether I mean, it does require a level of technical understanding, computer literacy, so it may not be suitable for everybody. 
but we're looking at why this is a channel of of of, of sending the, the health and well-being messages into our business as well to get deeper understanding of content um, and so we're going to be looking at that um, in in further detail later the other thing just just finally on this topic uh, one of the things that is really helpful to um, you know, enhance the work that's being done across multiple sectors, particularly construction, is these new psychosocial regulations that have come in. Because the psychosocial regulations that have come in are putting additional responsibilities on employers to manage the risks um, that are driving poor mental health outcomes. So we now have a positive duty to identify the things that we've all been talking about, like job demands, long working hours, job design, um, leadership, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, we've now got a positive duty to identify those psychosocial hazards and have risk management plans in place to deal with them. So I think, you know, optimistically, I think these regulations are going to accelerate the slow followers, if you like, that mm. that are that are slow to do anything structurally or significant within their business. I think these regulations will give them a will give them a push along. Um, so it's quite it's quite timely that they're coming into effect. Thank you so much for sharing it again. I think it really highlights, you know, the, the detail that you guys are, are going into to try and the, the levels that you're trying to push this, you know, these initiatives because a lot of companies will just take the band-aid solution or do what, you know, the bare minimum and, you know, tick a box. But, you know, you're highlighting again, going above and beyond. And I think it's a message that everyone in this industry and broader needs to hear. So, yeah, thank you yeah. again for sharing that. Uh, there are, Nick, can, please, I, can I just say, oh, there are there yes. are definite there are definite business and productivity benefits of all the things that, that we need to do in this area. So it's not, you know, it shouldn't be seen just purely as a, you know, an employee well-being proposition. There are, mm. you know, definite benefits to an organisation from investing in people to support them better. Um, and I think that message is slowly getting through. Yeah, it's taking that preventative approach and taking, you know, maybe one step backwards to go five steps forwards by by investing in the people, in the infrastructure and in these programs. So I think, yeah, really, really good point. Lisa, what was your experience uh, being at Lendlease through the pandemic um, and coming back from that? What have you what have you seen? Have you seen things bounce back? Yeah, I was uh, I was actually working on hospital projects through the pandemic. So if anything, my sites got busier when the uh, the construction rules went in because we were still critical infrastructure. So if anything, the pressure on site increased for us, whereas some sites were doing the, the juggling act of the 25%. I think during that time, it really highlighted to everyone what external pressures can mean when you're at work. Even just people's approach to work during COVID, they'd be frustrated by whatever new rules come out or not being able to do anything on the weekend. And I think that built and built on site. Um, it was really kind of changed everyone's attitude to work. Some people I'd worked with for years would be more stressed than normal or would just be more grumpy and harder to work with. So I think during that time it had a, a real impact. But I think the positive from COVID sort of what I was talking about before is that because everyone was going through such a tough time then people started talking about how much they were struggling with their not being able to see friends and family or 
how hard it was not being able to even go out and play golf or whatever it is that they like to do as their sort of personal um, thing on the weekends. So I think that's ended up being a good thing to come out of COVID. Obviously, COVID's not a good thing, but that's one sort of positive that has come out of it. And that's then been able to sort of slowly build and kind of a little bit just simmer away in the background. But it meant that people are a little bit more comfortable and people had to sit back and take the time to understand what was important to them or what they like doing, what sort of fills up their cup to make them happier outside of work, which then will relate to in work. And then, as you say, Martin, when people are well, I guess, you know, have good mental health, are looking after themselves, that's when they're going to perform better as well. So that's when you see less mistakes happening on site or that's when you see a, a better output. You, you know what it feels like when you're in the zone and you're getting work done and you get something that you're like, oh, that was actually easier than I thought it was going to be or I've done that really well. But if you're tired and you're stressed or you're worried about other things on the weekend, that's when everything just feels harder. So there's definitely that link to understanding what's better for you and then that'll improve your, your outputs at work. Yeah, thank you. For, thank you for sharing that one. And um, same question to you, Angelina. What have, what was your experience in in your organisation um, with COVID and the and the recovery from that? What 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 did you see there? Um, we saw lots. We pulse checked our members um, at the start of COVID, uh, right up until now. So we've had eight pulse check surveys, um, and I'll just give you a sort of a you know high level. Um, the profession was slammed. I mean, from project cancellations, projects being put on hold, or the anticipation of both, um, it had a ripple effect in terms of that widespread concern of the pipeline of work and where do we go from here, um, which then had a big toll on uh, practice directors, the firms. You know, as an employer body, our role is to support them. But, you know, you're seeing practices around making staff reductions, standing employees down, cutting hours, uh, considering redundancies, all of which had a huge toll on um, em- employers itself. Having said that, it was an opportunity for the ACA to really step up and take the reins around mental well-being. Um, and so the development and the launch and the rollout of our Architects Mental Wellbeing Forum was a huge um, positive in that sense. Um, and it was we were able to bring practices together and, and really try and address some of the key issues. So burnout, fatigue, exhaustion, these were the things that we were seeing. Um, and we were able to talk a lot more about the long hours culture, um, you know, clients and how client behaviour was driving a lot of um, outcomes in terms of well-being. Um, so, you know, it gave us an opportunity to really revisit our strategy as an organisation, as a representative body, and develop programs um, such as the Stepping Up program, as I mentioned, in conjunction with Champions of Change and Parlour, to, to, to highlight these issues. So if anything, um, you know, there'll be ebbs and flows in terms of well-being across employers and employees, but we were able to actually talk about these issues um, a lot more and get buy-in from our practices. And that's been kind of positive in many, in many ways. Um, but I also want to acknowledge too that there, we're seeing a lot of inequity in terms of accessing um, mental health services, particularly for you know disadvantaged, marginalised groups, you know those in lower income communities, rural areas. 
and I think that's a big challenge and a challenge also for a country you know that's made up of a significant portion of migrants myself included um, you know where you've got this cultural and societal attitudes towards mental health and well-being which vary depending on your culture your race your region your demographic um, so it's not that easy to tackle because you know it's a conversation that we might be having quite openly in one segment of our profession but maybe not so I think for us it's also about making sure that we are inclusive around the campaigns and the language and what it is that we're trying to achieve and I just think it's important to also um, kind of integrate that aspect to all of our initiatives because you know we're all trying to do the right thing but at the same time we've just got to be cognizant of that inclusivity and equity piece. Yeah great answer and I, I love I love the comment you're making there about trying to you know find a positive out of it use use that time during covid to explore another area and i think it's just such a great message because we can always find you know the positive in whatever the situation is if we if we want to it's easier to bury your head in the sand but you know we can find that so i'm going to finish this uh well i've had three of the four of you lisa you're the only one who hasn't um been on the podcast so i might have to get you on um soon as well um but as the rest of you know i finish every episode with five closing questions so because including me there's five i'll answer one as well and we'll um i'll do one each um before we go into that does anyone have any final comments uh they want to make um feel free yeah i'd like to just add one thing sorry sorry john i'll go I'll, i'll be quick i think um I think it's important uh, that it, it has a leadership aspect around it. Uh, I know from my company just during COVID, um, Andrew Miller was one of our senior construction managers who was across his four or five projects and he actively promoted it. He reached out to, to Unique, the Move Your Mind, and made sure that everyone attended that session and he was really promoting it saying, there's so much pressure we're all experiencing at work, but it's okay to just stop for an hour and engage in this. And I think that's really important because it stopped, got people to just stop and go, okay, yes, our industry is crazy busy, crazy pressures, but it's okay to take this hour. Um, unfortunately for John over in WA, they didn't have someone with strong leadership in that position to encourage it. But I think that's really important to have that leadership, both from the appointed leaders and then other people in the in the business to say it's okay to just pause for a minute and think here. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank thank you for that. I was just going to add, um, yeah, in my role as global chair of the workplace wellbeing initiative at the global wellness institute one of the things we noticed early on in the pandemic is that big companies across the world were just appointing chief wellbeing officers and it's funny there's no university degree to give you a qualification for that so there's a lot of learning by doing and i love how martin has described how john holland's put wellbeing people in as many positions as they can and and that's been a big part of the focus now is to educate people who are because what has happened is well-being has just been thrown to the safety guys or thrown to the HR people. It's like, take care of that. It's a bit of a hot potato because there's a lack yeah. of skills. So I think there's a real need there for education in those areas to help build the skills of, of those people in those um, key leadership roles to have more of an understanding of well-being in a, in a broader sense. Definitely. Thank you for sharing that one as well. 
Uh, so we, any, if no one else has any other comments, um, and sorry, Lisa, you mes- me- men- uh, mentioned Andrew Miller there, so big shout out to him as well. He's a great guy. <laughs> I've known him for a number of years as well. So if he's listening, hi, Andrew. <laughs> so we'll we'll jump into these. So first one of these is, um, I'm going to answer this one. Um, so best childhood memory is the first question I ask at the end of these interviews. So. Um, for me, my best childhood memory would be we've got a holiday house at Y River and I've had that since before I was born and would go down there, um, you know, every few weekends. And my best memory would be just, you know, with the family driving along the Great Ocean Road, um, going down there. It was an amazing memory and uh, very lucky to, you know, grow up in Australia and have access to, you know, that kind of that kind of thing. So that would be um for me my best childhood memory so next one um i might give this one to you martin what do you think is currently the biggest issue on mental health in society um or one of the biggest yeah look i I would think that uh, i think the biggest issue is that there that there's a lack of i think that there's a lack of funding um, at the government level around mental health, um, and and that funding being available um, for really important programs and activities, I, I think that there's you know there's certainly been some changes in that area over the years, but I but I think that there there still needs to be more work. There needs to be more funds made available for grassroots programs. Um, to address uh, to address these issues, but I, I think you know certainly at the at the policy setting, you know we're, we're heading in the right direction. Um, but uh, but, uh, but how that actually comes through uh, into communities, I think that needs to be um, addressed. I also you know I think that there's lots of contributing factors at the community level around mental health which are linked directly to disadvantage, and I and I think that that needs to be more properly resourced. You know, things that are driving poor mental health outcome beyond the construction industry, I think, is is represented a lot in disadvantaged communities. Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. John, I'll give this one to you. What's your personal definition of happiness? Um, well, in this moment, I would say it's just liking yourself. And, and I think that comes from being uh, being in charge of your own life and, and making your own decisions and honouring your, honoring your agreements and, you know, keeping your slate clean. And I think that, um, you know, when we do those things and we, and we give the best of ourselves in life, we like who we are. And I think it's when we do things that, take us away from that, that are perhaps a little bit self-degrading that have us not like who we are. So I think happiness is really very closely associated with just liking yourself. Great answer. And yeah, I think that's, it's, if you can, if you can like yourself and be comfortable with yourself, then yeah, life becomes a lot more simple. Not an easy thing to do, but a very important one. So love that answer. Lisa, I've got a bit of a different one here for you. Uh, what are you most afraid of? Ooh, okay, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I think I'm. Well, I think I'm most afraid of not being accepted. Um, 
and that's taken a lot of time for me to work through and I think I'm getting better with that with that afraidness I guess I think initially it was a very apprehensive about not fitting in or or not uh, being welcome somewhere or not fitting a mold um, but I, th- I think that's been a personal journey of mine to I guess come to terms with that that scared part of me um, but yeah that's what I've been most afraid of but I'm, I'm I guess I'm proud to say I'm, I'm getting better at that and I'm getting more okay with being me and that's okay well thank you for being open and sharing that yeah that's a a great answer really appreciate that uh angelina last one here what are you most proud of (laughs) what am i most proud of oh um i'm gonna say my family um because you know, I'm really, I'm really proud of them. Um, I've, I have an amazing husband who, by the way, um, his birthday today. So a shout out to Damien. Um, we've been together. Happy for birthday over... to your husband! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we've been together for over thirty, for thirty-two, thirty-three years actually. Um, you know, we've got two legendary sons. You know, twenty-one and nineteen, and um, you know, I, I just. For me, I think that's a that's I'm really proud of that. When I came to Australia as an international student 33 years ago, um, you know, I, I, he was the first one I met, and together we've kind of grown up um, here in Australia, made Australia our home. Um, you know, we've been through ups and downs, and uh, I, I just think that respect and um, the mutual respect and love and admiration and support for each other. Um, you know, COVID hasn't been great on lots of people, but just having that network, I think, and support from um, this family has been something I'm really proud of and being part of, being part of this, being part of this moment. Great answer, great answer. And yeah, ha- happy birthday again to, to your husband and um, congratulations. And that's amazing having that that long of a marriage. It's incredible. So um, thank you to everyone, to you know, Angelina, Lisa, Martin, John. Thank you so much for, you know, volunteering this time to come on here for all, you're all doing incredible work in this industry in, in different ways. And uh I've really appreciated being able to get to know all of you and Lisa hopefully I can get to know you as well and um, again you know it's, it's you know I think you've all contributed really valuable information today that will help a lot of people so thank you again for making the time thank you thank you Nick and I just want to thank you. shout out to, um, to the, your, your initiative around these conversations they just open up shone a light um, and it's been yeah. really spectacular stunning effort so thank you to you and your team I appreciate it thank you so much Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Appreciate it. Have a good day. Have a great day. Bye. See ya. Thank you so much to Angelina Pillay, John Toomey, Lisa Davey, and Martin Smith for joining me today on Brick by Brick. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.